sing along. Smell like dirt. I look like dirt. I feel like dirt. I taste like dirt. I'm stinky. Oh, I'm sweaty. I'm earthy like a worm. Do you dig me? I'm like fine wine or nice cheese, best left alone for a long, long time. To fester in the sunlight or the rain or whatever comes my way. I'm like fine wine or nice cheese, best left alone for a long, long time. To fester in the sunlight or the rain or whatever comes my way.
thousands of people came to New Mexico last week to camp at the same place together. And most of the folks at the annual rainbow gathering in the Carson National Forest are gone now. But Megan Abundus learned they left behind a lot of problems. Last week, more than 5,000 people came to the forest outside of Taos. This flung U.S. Forest Service, law enforcement, and locals into action. A lot to plan for when you're not expecting visitors. Anytime you have a large event with a large amount of people, you know, there's going to be resource impacts. That's where Hillary Markin comes in with the U.S. Forest Service, who says the gathering is technically not allowed. So it's actually an unauthorized event that occurs annually on the National Forest, and it's a loose-knit group of people that for them as a rainbow family that get together and um, camp in the woods, usually in mass quantities. It's gone on nearly half a century. Each year, it's a different location. Steve Duncan from Missouri has been involved for years and monitors the website and photos. I've been going since 94. Pictures of the site, pictures of their campsites, pictures of them having fun, some of the flora, the fauna, the waters. Dug a heart-shaped hole. And that's where they had a healing fire. They also drum around that fire. A main purpose? Prayer for world peace. With it, a mass amount of cars, people, food, and supplies brought in for more than a week. But normally, you must have a permit when you camp with more than 75 people to keep everyone and the land safe. The group has been cited in the past for not getting them. U.S. Forest Services and Taos locals will tell you they worry about trampled vegetation, water resources, latrines, compact soil, and new trails that weren't there before. So the Forest Service and the Rainbow Gathering have come up with an agreement, a small group group must stay and rehabilitate the land. Taking down any structures that may have been built while the gathering was taking place. They're dispersing materials across the forest floor to make it look like nobody had been there. A job that will likely take weeks to repair near Taos and must be signed off by the Forest Service. We, we understand that this impacts the community and we appreciate the community's kind of patience with us. While this year's crowd was comparable to past years, the Forest Service says there was one big difference. A lot of citations were given out. From broken taillights to hard drugs to weapon charges, they say that wasn't normal, and they're still working out the details. Megan Abundus.
went down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind. He was way behind. He was willing to make a deal. When he came across this young man sewing on a fiddle and playing it hot, and the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and said, boy, let me tell you what. Well, I guess you didn't know it, but I'm a fiddle player too, and if you'd care to take a dare, well, I'll make a bet with you. Now, you play pretty good fiddle, boy, but give the devil his due. I bet a fiddle of gold against your soul, because I think I'm better than you. Well, the boy said, my name's Johnny, and it might be a sin, but I'll take your bet. You're going to regret, because I'm the best there's ever been. Johnny, rustin' up your bow and play that fiddle hard. Cause hell's gonna loose in Georgia and the devil'll be as far as D minor. See a guy in the time fiddle way to go. But if you lose, devil get your soul. opened his up his case and he said I'll start this show and fire flew from his fingertips as he rosined up the bow and they pulled bow the pulled the bow across the strings and it made an evil hiss. 
That was the evil hiss. And then a band of demons joined in, and it sounded something like this. Some, but sit down in that chair right there. Let me show you how it's done. He played Fire on the Mountain, Run Boy One. Devils in the House of the Rising Sun. Chicken and Red Pen picking out dough. Granite's Dog by Don't Y'all Know. Smoke. head because he knew that he'd been beat. And he laid that gold fiddle on the ground at Johnny's feet. Johnny said, devil, just come on back anytime you want to try one. I told you once, you son of a... I told you once, you... I told you once, you... And the best there's ever been. He played fire in the run and run by run. Devil's in the house of the rising sun. Chicken and bread can't pick it out, no. Range the dog bite, don't y'all know? Come on, Johnny! Oh, <laughs> 
everybody sing. Here we go in the forest. In the forest, the mighty forest, the rainbow sings tonight. In the forest, the mighty forest, the rainbow sings
Lozère Nouveau. News. The Rainbow Family Association arrives in Lozère. Farmers on alert. July 9th, 2021. On the evening of July 8th, members of the Rainbow Family Association were spotted by farmers and residents of Cubiere. They would converge from several French regions in Europe toward Lozère. Their goal, according to a resident, to settle on the Col du Bourbon above Cuberets. Also, according to this testimony, the farmers immediately alerted the gendarmerie and blocked the roads with tractors and all possible means. The gendarme played their role and they pushed them back in the direction of Via Fort. The whole department is on alert, also specified the witness. They would be more than 4,000 individuals to wish to gather in Lozère part of the summer. Contacted by phone at the end of the afternoon, the mayor of Cuber, Stefan Masador, commented on the event. I did some research. It's a European movement. They want to settle in until August 9th. They have trailers with 4x4 and vans. Yesterday, they wanted to settle, but they were turned away by farmers and the police, confirms another witness. Today, the gendarme filtered the road to Pomeray for an hour, he added. According to a farmer in the sector, the farmers took turns preventing them from settling down during the night from Thursday to Friday. The reason? A delay in haymaking and therefore the fear of seeing the crop destroyed by the installation of these hippies. Indeed, more than 30 vans would have been seen on the road leading to Cuber. Some inhabitants in exchanged a few words with the members of the collective whose reason for the installation would be to stay with the time to stay the time of the lunar cycle to be in harmony with nature. According to our information, members of this association were back in Cuber in the afternoon and the gendarme again went there. Contacted by phone, the police did not wish to communicate. According to information gathered from the town hall of Cuber, a decree would have taken effect this evening to prevent this association from settling in Lozère.
God, what? You forgot. Oh my God. You're so right. I'm sorry. All right. Everybody, please put your hands in the air. Stand in the air like you don't care. And on the count of three, uno, dos, tres. We're all going to say, ole. Pretend you're in a rainbow bullfight. That's a lot of bull. Uno, dos, tres. Ole! Yay. Let's try it again.
the warmest October day that I ever saw today. So we skipped practice, Tony and Yogi and I, and decided to take a little ride down to the ferry and over to Staten Island. After polishing off a hero at Lucy's, we hopped on the back fender of the Second Avenue bus and rode down to the ferry basin. Once I fell off a bus like that on a sharp turn and almost got my balls crushed under the back wheel. But this ride was smooth enough and we got off and deposited our nickels in the turnstiles and were off. Just as the boat is pulling out of the dock, Tony takes out a bottle of Carbona cleaning fluid and a few rags and suggests that we do a little sniffing to get high. I was up for the idea because Carbona is one of the finest cheap highs you can get, even stronger than model airplane glue. We slipped up to the top deck of the ship and wet our rags and raise them to our faces. After four deep whiffs, we were sailing someplace else. Bells ringing through my ears and little lights flashing through my eyes. I pictured myself paddling across a river with black water. Only the canoe was going backwards instead of forwards with clouds that were faces laughing spooky funhouse laughs which wouldn't stop echoing. More sniffs and more freaky visions, the ringing bell sound just getting louder the more I breathed the stuff into my lungs. I kept it up for about 10 minutes, but by then I was getting too dizzy to handle it and I had to fling down the rag and make it to the side rail, sick as possible. I began puking wildly. My eyes felt like bowling balls and they were watering like mad. Tony and Yogi had done themselves in too and they ran over to join in the ceremony. Then we recovered enough to hear shouts from the bottom deck and wiping off our eyes, we realized we had zeroed in all over the head of some dude. More unfortunate was the fact that the guy was fantastically huge and looked horribly pissed. We wasted no time in making it for the nearest hiding spot, knowing the guy would be up after us any second. We got to the other side of the boat and did a quick Steve McQueen act over the rail and down to the lowest deck. Then we ducked into the bathroom and into the last toilet stall, locking the door and sweating our balls off. We hung on in there, reading the little penciled-in obscenities until the boat docked. After about 10 minutes, we sent Yogi out to see if the coast was clear. He came back and signaled us out, and we ran our asses off the boat through the terminal onto the nearest bus. We came to a nice park somewhere in the middle of the island and played ball with the local lames all day, taking on everyone, even guys as old as 16 or so. It was almost dark when we caught our ferry back to the city again, keeping a sharp lookout for our friend and vowing we'd never sniff that stuff on any ferry again.
edge of insanity. Past bleeding or tears, the ones you choose haven't cried since they fell off the slide. Usually they've been so abused that you wonder if they can take anything. Back to kid yourself into thinking that one of them will be able to tolerate so much that you'll actually fall in love with their pain comforts. Things get a little vicious. Talking back to Earth again. Yeah, sure. Throw him some straw to cling to, whatever. So you can fuck him and start all over again. Guy I knew used to drown his pets. So they were just on the other side. And then he rescued them. The memory he gave them was his smiling, loving face pulling them out of the barrel. Laying them on the grass, dust coating their muzzle. Secret for a couple of months off and on, but we knew that he really loved something about those dogs. Whatever. It's because he knew what they could take. He was impressed. He'd stroke them, pet them, hold them, whisper in their ear. Then he'd drown his dog or his friend's dog again. He did it in a big 50 gallon drum that we used for trash cans. His dad would bring them home from the shipyard. Greasy pieces of lettuce floating with particles of who the hell knows what. He showed me one day what it was that got him off. Here's his fourth grader. Bleeding scratches and bite marks on his brown arms, laughing in this unfunny way, and crooning to these yelping, desperate, writhing doggies. Sooner or later, he'd get them. He was fucking inexhaustible. He'd take hours to catch a dog. You could tell what was on his mind. They'd hide, but they'd have to show up at the wash bail and eat the scraps and dry dog food sometime, right? He knew that they knew he knew, and that made it better. He said, you fool, as he grabbed the dog and dragged him away. I'm going to drown you, Fido. He called every dog Fido and asked me why. Pretty soon the hose would start spinning this greasy mess of water around the barrel. He'd get him in. And you don't know how long it takes for a Labrador to drown. You don't measure it in minutes.
Black Classic is the show you're listening to on MutinyRadio.fm. Coming to you directly live from the Not So Sunny Mission District in San Francisco, California. This show is a uh, epitaph for the 500 Club. God rest you. Good bar.
stop on the line at 207th Street. It's like I was taking a trip to Albany or something, and I'm glad I brought along this sports magazine to break the boredom. So I'm reading this piece on how Bill Russell is going to eat up Wilt the Stilton all is well until I reach 125th Street and onto the train stumbles this old Irish drunk, and he sits right next to me, smelling like a brewery, and laying this gibberish sob driver on me. It never fails. Like, I hate these old peckers, but I think they search through trains looking for me, you know? 
because in a half-filled car, they'll always pass up anyone else and come right over to me, either cursing, insane, bumming coin, or worst of all, the old sob routine. The trouble with me is I never had the nerve to tell them to fuck off or go find another seat myself. So what happens is that after about two stops or so later, I'm really involved with the dumb story the dude is laying on me, though I can't understand half of what he's saying. And I, I even start rapping back like, yeah, yeah, I, I, know, I know just what you mean. The same thing happened to a man I knew, and, and he became a drunk from it, and blah, 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 etc. You know, taking the dude really serious as if he were making sense. This particular guy today took the cake he kept leaning all over me with his drooling mug, telling me how he killed his wife by accident by dropping a big mirror on her head as they were putting it up together or some shit like that. And every 10 seconds, sticking a bottle of Twister in my face, asking me to take a drink. So anyway, as usual, the transit cop comes along at 181st Street and kicks the guy off the train. going to listen to me now and I felt blank and sad like always after that happens
A cold shower helps. So does the thought of lunch. Pro football players eat well but wisely. Lunch is a refreshing meal and light. No one wants to eat too much because there's still another practice on the day's schedule. Usually lunch starts with hot soup and a cool salad of lettuce and tomatoes. But there's no spicy dressing for the salad. It's too hard to digest. Next come cold cuts like ham and roast beef, assorted cheeses, tuna fish and bread and rolls. Players can drink fruit juices, lemonade, iced tea or even hot coffee. No milk at lunch though. A pro training camp is like a football school. Players spend more time in classrooms than they do on the practice field. The rookie who fails to do his homework with a team playbook soon falls behind the rest of his teammates. The playbook contains hundreds of plays and formations. It is also a guide for training camp rules. It gives the schedule for meals, the time of meetings and other helpful information. Rookies often study their playbooks in their dormitory room after lunch. The playbook is never far from their reach. There is time after lunch for other things too, like writing letters home, or reading a book, or maybe a friendly game of cards. Players also use this period to take short naps before the start of afternoon practice. By 2.30 in the afternoon, most of them are on their way to the gym to get their ankles taped and to suit up for another long practice.
slap like plastic, mutiny radio, dot FM. Where all the seniors from plastic goods, light and black, and full of grooves.